drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, welcome. It's Drive-By Cinema. Season 3, episode 27. The mathematicians are telling us, having calculated the scores on the doors. I'm Rick, and with me is my co-host, Paul. Hello, everybody. How do you do? For the podcast which watches a movie so you don't have to. And you certainly don't have to. Hey, Paul, so, last week's movie, Trust, am I right? Yeah, did we get any uh, listener feedback on that one, I wonder? We did. Oh. Jolien thinks we may have missed something. He hasn't told me what yet, though. I think he might be planning to see the movie again himself. (laughs) And that may mean, for all I know, finding a VHS player so he can play his old tape. I so know. he's, I see. So he, he knows that we missed something, but he can't quite recall what it is. That's right. That's right. Uh, m- maybe that means we should try and get him on the podcast. I think so. Maybe a Jolian comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Around or concerning trust. And maybe some Michael Nyman and Peter Greenaway issues too. Huh. Perhaps. <laughs> But maybe Jolly's doing something that's very synchronistic and time travel here. He's, he, he's been and found the reason. He's got to go back to find out where he came from. I don't know. But we'll find out what Jolly has to say about it soon, I guess. But hopefully soon. Meanwhile, Paul, in the real world, just to cite everybody temporally, <laughs> the Germans have announced that they're going to be sending leopards to the Ukraine to help fight the Russians, which is amazing, isn't yeah. it? It's surprising. Well, we're going to send Jaguars, or do we not? We don't have Jaguars anymore, do we? Well, no, what we have, as you know, in Hercules. this country. Hercules lives with us. We stole Hercules along with the, uh, the, the Elgin marbles, didn't we? We have, we have an emergency stake, don't we? When an emergency situation arises, as you know, Paul, our government gets a cobra out, don't they, in the cabinet? <laughs> and I'm not going to mention Rishi Sunak at all. Okay, so calm down, Richard. Other thing that obviously we're obsessed by by lately is is AI. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we we have an AI logo nowadays. By the way, in the film that we watched this week, of course, I I like the, you need a logo, I've got a pig on a tractor comment. (laughs) (laughs) Take a leaf out of that guy's book. I did go to ChatGPT to test it. I wanted to test out some call and response to see if it would respond the way I expected. So what I did was... Some classic cheerleading. Yeah, I went into ChatGPT, and I wondered whether it knew the lyrics to a song, so I said this to it. I typed out, Confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as... Part life. John's got Pruitt's droop, yeah. He gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons. They love it. it. It didn't understand what I was talking about. So... Nonsense. It could easily search that. Well, it didn't know. So I got more explicit with ChatGPT, and I, I asked it if it knew the lyrics. Do you really want to zig a zig ah? If it knew the lyrics to Blur's Park Life. It made some shit up, didn't it? It, it responded with what it described as <laughs> Park Life by Blur, but it was completely original. And I wondered I love if you liked the fact ChatGPT just makes shit up. <laughs> so confidently as well. I wondered if you'd like to help me perform ChatGPT's Blur's <laughs> Can we share life. the screen, then? <laughs> All you need to do, Paul, is the chorus. Okay. Which is quite straightforward. Yeah. I think you'll, I think you'll get the hang of it pretty quickly. <laughs> you seeing it? 
Well, here we go then. Here's Blur's Park Life by ChatGPT. London's a rip-off. You pay for the privilege of living in the capital. The North West is cheaper, but they don't have the same opportunities. It's part life. It's part life. It's part life. It's part life. The girls are in the park, wearing next to nothing. It's not getting any warmer, but they're not complaining. It's part life. It's part life. It's part life. It's part life. The council wants to clean up the park, but it's not a park at all. It's a people zoo. They're trying to kick us out. (laughs) It's part life, it's part life, it's part life, it's part life. I think we have to assume that it fades out from here since oh, it repeats five. it's Seems part be... life. <laughs> oh, well, quite a few repeats there. I would about say 300 repeats about of part 300 life. repeats, wow. Paul, shall we listen to a bit of our music now? Yes. Before sure. we talk about this week's film. Here it comes, a delightful composition. <laughs> Now, you've already got it wrong once today, so I eagerly anticipate you telling me what the name of this film is. It was your idea as well. Yeah, it's Ben and Jerry Go Large. Jerry and Marge Go Large. Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, got, I just got tubs of ice cream in my mind after this. I'm sorry. Now, you suggested It's a tub this. of ice cream kind of movie, though, isn't it? Do you not think? It is, yeah. Now, since you suggested it, I'm presuming, I'm going to assume, that it is because you are a keen gambler... He was always keen is, on yes. keeping a green book and you wanted to get hints and tips on beating the lottery. Is that Do you know how many kind of go to Vegas and come out with a fortune books I've bought in my lifetime, Richard? Oh my god. I haven't spoken about this. I wasted quite a large personal fortune trying to win at the casinos. Really? Which games were your go to games? But I wasted somebody else's fortune even more than mine. <laughs> oh my god. Currently, he's in arrest in China, under arrest. So you're safe for now. Yeah. I'm safe for the time being, yeah. Unless he makes makes friends with a, you know, a muscle thug in prison. Sorry, Rich, but he's, he's in black prison at the moment, so I don't actually think he's in the prison system. Black prison? What's that, what's that mean? It's informal prisons that don't exist on the map. What, like a political prison kind of situation? Is that... Oh, well, he's not a political person. Uh... I'm... Commercial fraudster prison, I don't know, you know, kind of like, you know, people who have misused either their power or access to party power in the country. So, ah, so it is a political... It is, but not in the sense of political activism. Yeah, he's not, okay, yeah, so he's not a dissident, but he is, he's flouted the laws of the party, so he goes to... Yeah, I mean, the most radical thing he ever did was spend less than $2,000 on a pair of shoes, so... (laughs) Okay. And what game were you trying to win at and failing at in the casino? We were trying to win at the classic, call it pontoon, call it 21, or call it, call it blackjack, blackjack, how you will. It is the only game in the casino, really, that you can turn around to be in your favour if you play well. Poker. Poker's the one you should go for, really. Well, poker, yeah, you just need to be better than the other players. The house takes, I think, a very, very minimal cut on poker. Yeah, it, it, rake, it rakes from the pot, sure. A little bit, but I think it's a draw. You know, people come to come to the casinos to watch the poker games, don't they? You know, so it brings in it's it brings in footfall, I think, as well. You know, it keeps people in the casino 
drinking the drink, drinking the drink and getting drunker for longer than they would do, and then they'd go back on the slots kind of thing. We did the Macau floating barges. This is back in, I don't know, mid-90s. They were, they were informal kind of gambling dens. I mean, if you go to Macau now, it's, it's like the centre of Vegas. It's very kind of swish and plush and whatnot. But back then, you know, there were sort of, uh, there were more sort of authentic floating, I don't know what you call them, floating restaurant kind of style, style gambling dens. Okay. A floating because, of course, they could pull up the drawbridge and nope, you know, and uh, the Rosas couldn't jump on board kind of thing and raid it so easily. So, yeah, blackjack was what we tried to win on. And were you card counting? Yes. Yes, we are card counting. So the basic principle of winning at blackjack is if you play perfect strategy, I think you can lower the house uh, the house edge to a couple of percent, two or three percent or something. If you combine that with card counting, so that's monitoring the deck to see how many high-value versus low-value cards there are. Don't forget, they played with the single deck back then. Yeah. So, so it has much bigger effects, yeah. Mm. That can actually turn the edge, the house edge around, give you an around, edge, yeah. a small edge in your favour. With a single deck, I think, you know, possibly 4 or 5% in your favour. I've not read the books for a long time because I kind of grew out of this after I lost so much money. But yeah, you know, quite a significant advantage over an evening. So much so that they'll know that something's going on, you know what I mean? Uh, here's but the, I think with eight, the kicker, I think They know that hmm. you're count, counting cards because in order to count cards, you have to vary your bet. So when the count is against you... True, you, you, can, uh, you can suppress that though. The normal way of suppressing it is to have accomplices... So you're counting. That's right, yeah. But you get your accomplices. Ah, Richard's tried to do the same thing as me. Richard is much more, plays his cards close to his chest. Richard has obviously tried to be into, be into a casino and try and do the same thing as I have. Uh, but he's not saying how he, he failed or succeeded. <laughs> well, Come on, Richard. Here's the, the whole point is, as soon as the casino know you're counting cards, they can stop you playing. They'll throw you out. Yeah, they will throw you out, definitely. So you're in a situation where if you... If you play the best possible way and use all of your possible advantages, the casino will prevent you from playing. And so, you know, you're not in a fair situation. It's hopeless to try, really. As soon as you start winning, they'll, they'll throw you out. I mean, the strategy we played was kind of like a... You had to kind of memorise essentially four tables at maximum. You know, maybe, you know, maybe 300 different... That's your strategy. Yep, yep. 300 different calls or whatever. And it's so quite easy to memorise. I think a lot of these basic card counting ones have just a single table, you know. With kind of There's a ladder that goes down, a bit like the periodic table that separates metals from non-metals. And there's a twist or stick kind of decision, you know, based on the card up, card card down kind of thing or whatever. I can't quite remember the single, the single table ones. Which you could probably learn in a weekend or two. And then, you know, get good at playing within a week or two, a week or two of practice. Uh, but then, of course, because of all this, because so many people, so many general punters were card counting, and so many people were like learning the sophisticated tables uh, and maybe even some ad hoc mathematics that you could do whilst the game was going on. I think they increased the card deck to four decks mm. and then now it's either eight or 16. So even if you card counting now, the theoretical advantage you could have over the, over the house is probably, you might just break even potentially. So it's it's become an unwinnable game. And this is the point, you know, I, I think... Yeah. The point I'm making is it always was an unwinnable game. You just yeah. you just think you can get away with it under the nose of the casino, but you can't because they're watching. Well, you, well, they weren't wise to, to mixing the bets among three people, were they, for quite a time. 
Well, they okay, but they wised up to it pretty quick. Yeah, certainly in Vegas. Anyway. Uh, we're talking about, we're talking about big casinos. However, you know, in the backwaters, I think you could still get away with that kind of stuff until maybe ten years ago. Anyway, that is blackjack. <laughs> We're talking yes. about. So what's? Tell me, Paul. So more recently, more recently, okay. uh, I, I kind of got somebody to roll us, or, or to financially, you know, back us to go to the Philippines and try and do something similar. I forgot that I had this huge interest in beating casinos. I don't know where it came from. Stupid. But as it happened, uh, a friend had a huge amount of money and said, "Let's, you know, let's see if we can if we can win some off the casinos, kind of thing." Uh, and this time it didn't matter because it wasn't my money. Uh, but during that time, of course, we had to set ourselves. We had to set ourselves up as you know, kind of uh, not whales, but kind of big spending tourists from the Chinese mainland. Okay, so we had to spend high a couple of days in there. Yeah. High, yeah, high rollers, but kind of naive high rollers. Okay, and so there were four of us. You know, we all played the part, and uh, so we were. I was playing. I was playing like the the kind of between the machine slots. And like the poker games and the blackjack, there's that kind of mid-level stuff like roulette or like the low, low value, low cash roulette and some weird Chinese games in the middle, right? Because it's the Philippines. Okay. And they got, you know, you know, a huge Chinese population anyway, but lots of, lots of tourists trying to come to the, come to the casinos. My God, the biggest casino complex I've ever seen take up the whole, the whole promenade. Like Ocean Boulevard was just, it's just, unfathomably large casinos just a whole city inside them and uh, I almost I almost you know got us thrown out because I touched the chips after we called time actually I touched the chips and like the bouncers were on me kind of stuff whoa on um, roulette no like on the kind of I, it was a Chinese game that was like betting okay. higher or okay. I don't know what it was uh, some weird thing and yeah like we had to hold back on the strategy for half a day because I just really drew attention to us kind of thing but they kind of fit in, you know, like we were like pretending to be drunk and stuff like that. So it's okay. Anyway, long story short, uh, we lost all the money. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your lottery strategy, Paul? Well, I was going to leave it till the end, oh. but I, I think I've mentioned before that my dad won the lottery. Oh. Yeah. How, how much did he win? He won the pools. Okay. So oh, that's different. He, he, well, I was going to say, Richard, you've got a new haircut tonight. No. No. Well, you've been doing your perms and your combs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was going to say my dad knew his perms and comms you know he he took a very mathematical self-taught mathematical approach to doing the pools I spent hours and hours every weekend kind of watching the form and tracking the form we just should explain uh, what the pools is for people who weren't yeah, born for people younger than 35 <laughs> or younger than 40 maybe okay the pools was a weekly gambling game that you... They would like post through your letterbox if you'd ordered it. I think if you didn't order it, they'd post it through anyway. And it was the, all the English league football matches. And you had to guess basically who won, draw, or lost each one. And, and you'd get points for it. And you could, you'd have to choose like a line or something, which is like choosing eight games or 12 games or 20 games. Uh, weren't you trying to guess... Uh, weren't you trying to guess draws. the draws and the no-score yes. draws? No score draws. Which is a right. weird thing to try points. to do. <laughs> Well, because it's very improbable, isn't it? You know, or, or well, not actually, not, not that improbable. It's less probable than a win or or, or a loss, isn't it? So uh, that's why they did that way. Uh, yeah. So I, I, a lot of it, I think, you know, was down to that system. Because the term "winning the lottery" used to be "winning the pools." That's sort of the, 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 this. It filled the same social. What's it called? Vernon's Vernon's pools. Little little pools. Woods. There was two kinds. Yeah. It was all based in Liverpool. Got nothing at all to do with the movie today, which... But Richard, you haven't said, have you been to Vegas to try and beat the system or not? 
I have been to Vegas, but I'm not I'm not clever enough or dumb enough to try and beat <laughs> the casino. Well, this is what our punters try to do today, isn't it? And this is based on a true story, right? Oh, it says inspired mm. by a true story. Yeah. I've got two dates 2012. Here. Well, it ended 2012. 2008, I think, was when it when started. When it started, yeah. yeah. It starts in a, ta- a little town in Michigan called Everett, and we focus on a guy at the end of his career retiring called Jerry. Yeah. Now, by the way, this guy called Jerry, real name, full name Gerald, the, in a movie, they spell Jerry yeah. with a J, but his name Gerald oh. is with a G. Is that normal? You spell, when you shorten Gerald, you end up with a J. Is that, is that convention? I thought Jerry you was with a G. end up with a J. It's weird. Anyhow. Yeah. Anyhow. Tom and Jerry is with a J. Yeah, but is that Tom and Gerald, really? Is that what we heard? Yeah, 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 yeah. You say that like you know you know the mouse personally. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean Thomas and Gerald, yeah. So yeah, I mean he's retiring. He's being roundly patronized by his scornful upper management. At Kellogg's. He works in the cornflake factory, doesn't he? That's right, and condescended to by the indulgence of his family who buy him a boot or a boat in non proximal Canadian areas of America. Uh, it's the eve of his retirement, isn't it? And having like a barbecue after, after you know, after he's come home from work for his last time. And did you recognise yeah. comic actor Michael McKean? He of Spinal no. Tap fame is his, his buddy, his neighbour. No way! Yeah, that's right. David St. Hubbard. Stop right now, Richard. <laughs> and he says, I've not been... Oh, his wife says, you've not been fired in 42 years, now's the time to let your hair down. Because I was thinking, because, you know, I've been into, like, playing the system against casinos and stuff like that. I thought, you know, maybe he's going to be like me. But I certainly have been fired <laughs> in way less than 42 years. So not really my spirit doppelganger at all. Would you like to go fishing? Would you like a fishing boat as a retirement present? I really would. And Jerry doesn't. No, he's not keen on it. No. And when he tries to take it out the first time, he fucks up mm. launching the boat, it would seem, and trashes it. Yeah, these first 10 minutes, I thought it was nicely done. Okay, there is exposition on gambling here, but there's here is a spotlight more about his character. They're saying two things. One, he's a very systematic person. Because, you know, when they're talking about his retirement from his systems engineer, line systems engineer job at the factory, he starts wanting to engineer or improve his wife's cleaning system and his son's business and this kind of thing. So all that's going on. But the second spot, like they say, is that, you know, Jerry is very risk averse, you know. How, how does he manage to wreck the boat? He wrecks the boat because he's trying to rescue his car. That Just the boat kind of, with gravity, pulls slightly into the shallow water. No, he, the he left the, uh, the emergency brake off, hadn't he? And his truck is rolling He stopped, back. like, down, you know, you know, in a couple of seconds. He panicked. He did panic. Why did he gun it so hard that he was the boat out of the water and broke it? Don't know. Uh, well, I have a theory. I have a theory. I think it's because, like all American cars, it would have been an automatic, right? Ah. I think it... You can't stop it. Well, I think he was partly concerned about flooding the engine or getting water in the exhaust system. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he wants to keep the revs up. But in an automatic, you can't keep the revs up and move the car slowly. There's no, you can't let the clutch bite, can you? I see. I think that's what was happening. Well, after trashing his new boat, uh, he goes to the local convenience store. He spots, amongst other things on sale, uh, he spots a discussion from the storekeeper about the lottery. The It's called the yeah. Windfall Lottery. Which is, it's a strange name, isn't it? Why not call it, it Windfall why is windfall better? I don't know. I don't know. 
It's a minor state lottery in Michigan, isn't it? And Jerry shrewdly spots something quite unusual about this lottery, which is one of the ways they've got for handling sort of rollover jackpots. Now, I don't know about you, but during this film, there were a couple of points where certain elements of the technical aspects of it Exposition, yeah. They kind of eluded me. I didn't really fully understand. I had to go and... I thought the exposition here was really sensitively done for a general audience. Sure. But as a result, was a little too maybe brush-strokey. Yeah. Yeah. So how it is working is this. Obviously... It's not a rollover, it's a roll-down. Rollovers can happen as well. Uh, So in a lottery, where nobody gets the jackpot, the jackpot prize is kept and rolls over to the next week. And of course, you can play for preferential odds at that point, that week, you know, in the UK. But, I mean, there's no proprietary information being withheld here. Everybody knows it's a rollover week, so people are going to buy more tickets and everybody can take advantage of the actual preferential odds that you do buy the tickets in that, you know, on that week. And you still have, to get, you still have to get the jackpot to get the amount. Exactly. And it's still well, very, it's very unlikely. So... Roll down moves the prizes down to the next tier. Is that yeah, right? so in the windfall lottery, the windfall it's lottery, quite a brilliant idea. They have this idea called roll down. The jackpot is going to accumulate if it's not claimed week on week. But if it reaches a certain level, I think it's five million. Then at that mm. point, rather than rolling over to the next week, what they do is they start awarding jackpot money to people with five, four, and three matching numbers in appropriate proportions. Well. Getting three numbers is relatively likely, only one in 54. One out of 54. And getting four, getting four numbers, numbers is three out of 1,584. So much, much more likely. <laughs> and it turns out when Jerry did the math, or the math as they do in, in the States because they do it singular, when he figured it all out, he, he worked out the expectation value or the expected mean of a ticket was, was, preferential, was actually yeah. slightly more than the ticket price. This is the old essential idea of play the payout, don't play the fruit machine. Yeah, the old idea is play the quiz, play the play the person who played the quiz machine before you, don't play the quiz machine. It's the same idea, basically, isn't it? Well, we can come back to that contentious statement. Yes, sure. Now he, <laughs> so he realizes that in order to win, he's going to have to buy lots and lots of ticket. I think he does. He go to his accountant to talk about this, but he predicts a twenty percent earning on a two thousand dollar investment effectively that's right so he withdraws some money from the bank he goes to the shop and buys an astonishing like two thousand or one thousand tickets or something whatever it is uh-huh. And then he watches, or well, he was watching the lottery results, and his wife comes home, and he's kind of embarrassed about watching the lottery while his wife <laughs> looks at him. So he switches it off. Yeah, he's not a very good liar, is he? Like he didn't, he didn't cover that well. I mean, obviously, if you're not watching the lottery, you just keep it on the TV, don't you? And by the way, I guess I know we mentioned this briefly last week. This is actor playing Jerry is uh, Cranston, Brian Cranston of mm-hmm. Breaking Bad uh, fame. Breaking Bad. And his wife... Who's supposed to be 63 in this movie. I felt he looked and was croakier than the 63 he was supposed to be. Possibly. And his wife is played by Annette Benning. Mm. So these are both, you know, estimable act- actors, aren't they? Guess what? Okay, he loses money on this day of reckoning. He's $300 down, Richard. Yes. Yeah. Now, we should talk about why he was down. Because it's, yeah. it's important, isn't it? Again, you're going to say it's a contentious analogy, Richard, but I think it comes down to Rosencrantz and Guildenstein are dead. They're on the horse. They're flipping their head. 
or the tail of a coin. And one says, look, you know, this could come down f- tails 50 times. That's just as likely as any other result. True, true, true. So the way that he's buying his lottery tickets, though, is important. He's using quick pick, which is like lucky dip on our lottery. Yeah. He's letting the machine choose a random number. So obviously when yes. he buys like a 1,000 tickets, he's expecting a spread of those number picks to give him a decent chance of picking up the yeah. an appropriate number of hits for three and four numbers, and maybe even five, who knows, but certainly not very likely by comparison. So it could just be the case, though, that the numbers that those lucky dips give him, compared to the numbers that actually get drawn, don't give him sufficient number of hits. And it, Of course, yeah. It's just random luck, you know. He concludes quite fairly that he needs to reduce risk by... Buying more Increases tickets. sample size. Yeah. Exactly. The sample size needs to increase. He explains this. So he decides to go to 4,000, except he doesn't. Because he, he goes... It's quite a nice little thing he has with the bank bank teller. He, he As he's withdrawing the 4,000, he ups it to 6,000 just to rip up the next check. And then 8,000, finally 10,000, he takes everything out of his checking account. Yeah. Uh, it, well, it demonstrates, though, that he's absolutely persuaded he's convinced you know a lot of people if they had that great idea for a you know a lottery scheme mm-hmm. and they tried it and they lost money they would have you know given up lost heart perhaps but he knows the math doesn't lie he sticks to his guns he goes large and of course this time he makes considerable amount of money doesn't he seven hundred dollars no sorry fifteen thousand seven hundred dollars fifteen thousand seven hundred that's right yeah where does he hide it, though? He hides it in the popcorn tin. In, in the pantry. The, in the pantry, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. And then there's an amusing dinner party scene. This film's quite funny. It's got quite a lot of good lines in it. It has got a lot of lines, yeah. They're talking about a cruise that someone was going to go on. He says, uh, you know, you'll know the difference between port and starboard. And his neighbour friend says very confidently, oh, that depends which ocean you're on. <laughs> <laughs> And then his daughter is saying, I don't eat meat, Dad. And he goes, I'll just go and get the chicken then. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so he fishes fishes the money out. You think he put it somewhere safe. He sticks it in the cereal box, like out of the frying pan into the fire, for crying out loud. Yeah, because later on he's he's been eating a lot of Oreos, hasn't he? So perhaps that's why (laughs) some empty biscuits. But uh, later on his wife confronts him and says, look, I've... I've got to ask you about something. And he thinks she's found the money. So he immediately confesses he's been playing the lottery. Yes. And then she says, about the Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he confesses to her. Now, he's against his own intuition. His wife loves the idea. She says, we've waited 40 years for this moment to retire. And so far, we suck at our golden years. So like, that's where the Springsteen music comes in. Bam, it's 2013 comes up. There's a timestamp. Only one of the few timestamps in the movie. And uh, yeah, she's along for the ride. It's like Cocoon. They're completely energised by the whole the whole scheme. Yes. And she goes, she's along for the ride. She says, let's be a little stupid. We got married when we were 17, so we know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's been printing off the tickets himself. Now they head on a road trip. Oh, well, no, what's happened here is... Windfall Fuck. has been the shut down in Michigan. Yeah, shut down, yeah. But they realise that the same lottery is happening in Massachusetts. It's a drive away. And a motel but, and a motel stay. They've also approached their friends, haven't they? They've gone to the accountant. 
and said, give us a, you know, some money and we'll take it and, and improve it. So he gives them a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good. And they so go and buy 8,000 tickets. 8,000 tickets. It takes an hour to print 1,000 tickets on these machines. And then, of course, once they've got all these tickets, and this is an important point about this whole scheme, they've got to check them afterwards. They've got to watch the results and then go through yeah. by hand all these 8,000 tickets. So they, they, they get a little motel room somewhere near the convenience store in Massachusetts. They take all the tickets back there and they spend you know the next few hours... Checking them all. But Bill is the coolest convenience store owner ever, okay? He's like, okay, you want to do 8,000 tickets? You come behind the till and do it. He lets <laughs> them print the tickets off themselves. Okay, they come up Trump's $21,043. Can you believe it? They can barely believe that they're getting away with it. Although, you know, one criticism you might have of this movie is it's fairly low stakes, isn't it? In the sense that yeah, it, they make it fairly clear throughout the movie that they can't lose. Well, not that they can't lose so much as they're not doing anything illegal. No one's going to come no. knocking on their door. It's not like a heist movie, you know. And they're not making any gangsters angry. No, exactly. It's like Or fronts for gangsters angry. A very kind of low stakes thriller where, you know, nothing is at stake. <laughs> so I had a problem with the way they checked the tickets, okay? You know, for a systems engineer, his QC was terrible. You know, for any ballot count, you want a second count. They weren't putting it on discarded parts for the other person's account. And also, I think, although it might encourage the second checker to gloss over it, I think you should circle the numbers you identify the first time round, because then they can be checked for Well, that's what they did in real life. That's what they did in real life. Oh, right, okay. It seems like a lot of work. They weren't actually the first people to identify this flaw. An academic had... Backdoor. ...had also... an An economist or something had written a paper about a flaw in the lottery of this kind. But he had concluded that it wasn't worth his time. He'd figured out how much effort would be involved in getting and checking the tickets. And for him, it wasn't, you know, he had a full-time job. He couldn't justify the investment of time. But of course, for a retired person, and a retired person who is not happily retired, but, you know, grudgingly retired, as he said when, uh, you know, at some point, a reporter interviews him about the work, and he says he doesn't see it as as work. For him, it's something to do, I suppose. Well, lots of retired people like to do that thing where they go around the edges of car parks and pick up the Asda discounts from the receipts kind of thing. Really? They make hundreds a week, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. It's got a special name. There's a whole area of YouTube devoted to it. Yeah, I could see how this would be very involving, addictive, and quite, you know... Quite meaningful. But, I mean, I really agree that... Like, I cannot imagine how I would check, like, a dozen tickets. I mean, it would take me... I'd have to have the results and the ticket, like, and I'd have to look back between one and the other, and I'd have to double-check. And three tickets in, I would have forgotten, you know. I'd have to go back and... <laughs> it, it must be baffling to do it. I guess you'd get better it's at like it. When you're sending, it's like when you're sending bank transfers. It's like, you know, you've checked. <laughs> you've checked it seven times. Right. Read it backwards, Paul. And still you have to check Read it. Read it backwards, that's my tip. That's a good idea. It is a good idea. There is there is the curse of familiarity. This is why you should never proofread copy that you've written no, yourself. Because your brain is already very it's already very familiar with it. And so what if it's familiar with it, it just you skips just over. Skip over the errors, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You repeat the error as you proofread. Yeah. They've gone to the uh, lottery place to get their check mm. for their winnings. And they look at one another and they go, Do you think we're the only ones who know? Crash cut. 
Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard, there's like a student like dorm, and some guy yeah. is looking through all these Tyler. lottery. Tyler, that's right. He's looking through all these lottery things, and he's building sort of research into which lotteries would pay out the most if they could find a system to do it. Tyler, his mate Eric. And his mate Eric, yeah. Tyler, I didn't really get, was he privileged, not privileged? He seems to have a strict father that didn't give him a trust fund. He's got a very rich father, yeah. That turns up at the end, he is quite rich, because when he's trying to bankroll this whole operation, he's like, I'm not rich, I don't have the money. But then he's presented as a very arrogant Harvardian, and I think if he was coming from a less privileged background... He wouldn't be that kind of Harvard student, would he? Yeah, yeah. But so confident, you know. You imagine that, you know, uh, he's very persistent when he when he's demanding head off people. So Gerald, meanwhile, or demanding head be given. Gerald, meanwhile, he's underlining the fact that the more you bet, the better the odds. And so he plans to start a corporation with his accountant. Yeah, GSIS. I think they're going to call it. This is where the bit about the logos comes in. Because he's getting all of the people in the in the little town in Everett to contribute right, to buy yeah. shares in this new company, and they're going to use this value, invest it in the lottery, and give everyone the returns that that they're hoping for. So the idea is to incorporate it. Okay, uh, the reporter starts to get a sense of them. She's been checking on the public domain records. Public oh, this records. is the, the Boston Globe. Yeah, shortly. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, they're no newspapers. Newspapers are in decline, so you know the bosses, like the editors, like you got to get a story. I tell you what, lottery lottery winners always go down well. And so she sniffs out this story, and she sees a repeated winner. Okay, so she's on the trail already. Has a warning. There isn't. There isn't potential elder sex moments. I was going to say in the their, their marital uh, duties are being performed. It's, it's re-energized their their marriage, Paul. Their relationship is burgeoning as a consequence of this exciting activity. He's got, you know, he's got his joie de vie back, hasn't he? Yeah. So, as you say, yeah, there is a bit of elder sex. They're back in the store. They're about to bang. And luckily, in the, in the motel room after us, we don't actually see the details of that moment. Presumably lying on a bed of lottery tickets. And they, in the morning after, they, they say, oh, I love the way this bed sags in the middle. Brings us together kind of thing. Meanwhile, classic soundtrack, uh, Baba O'Reilly by The Who. Oh, yeah. Bill, the storeholder, stoner mates are like in for the ride. Bill says, you got to, they want to put $500 into, you got to wait. He's got to go and rob his parents first. <laughs> kind of thing. They invest 40000 and they win 82000 They've doubled their stake. Pop. Whoa. Meanwhile, back at Harvard, Tyler and his mate are riling up the troops in his Alpha Beta Kappa house, and he finishes arousing a slightly arrogant speech with the, with the phrase "We are legend," which may or may not come from a movie. I don't but the Harvard students are doing something slightly different, which is important to note because it comes it becomes a point in the movie later. They are tech savvy. By they the way. are filling out lottery slips by hand, so he's handing out lottery yeah. slips three hundred in bundles of three hundred at a time. I guess it might be quicker than waiting. No, the no, machine, no, no, yeah? no, no, no. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. See, the Harvard guy is clever, clever, and he's realised that if you want to get the best coverage of numbers, you, there's an algorithm you can you can follow to fill out the lottery slips. Well, a random number generator. Aha! <laughs> if you use a random number generator, you risk not getting the optimal coverage of all of the possible com. Uh, perm, perm, permutation of combinations and so the whole point is they are you know systematically covering the different combinations by filling them out 
It comes back later, and we'll discuss it more then, perhaps. But he's getting all of his dorm mates to do this, and he's not really contributing any uh, any of the work himself either, is he? Now, back at back at the shop that they've been using to buy all these tickets, they have to get a second machine. It's too slow on one machine, and they're now trying to invest a lot more money. But fortunately, although you're not allowed more than one machine in one location. Uh, uh, the the shop owner Bill has persuaded one of his mates to say that they want one in their restaurant or their diner, so they have got a second machine now. This time they're going to bet half a million. And meanwhile, the journalist at the Boston Globe she's noticed that Jerry is winning every three weeks because they have to publish the names of the winners. Oh, so, why the old thing? She's putting two she's, two she's together. on the trail. And the students have won too, but they've noticed that their winnings are not as much as they would expect. And they hack the lottery company's results to see where all the winnings are going. And now they've figured out that there's another sort of syndicate doing this. The students turn up because they've, because of they, they've hacked the system, they, they know which shop is being used. And they find Jerry and his yeah. wife having an anniversary party there, dancing and drinking cheap champagne from the from the cooler. Now, this is set up to be, you know, the fire and brimstone kind of bitch fest mode. Again, yeah. a very low stakes film, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, Tyler suggests that they join his betting syndicate. Obviously, Jerry refuses. And that's it. They, they go away. Here are some of the bitchy things that Tyler says. Oh, how sweet you two. It's like the movie Up. Oh. Yeah. You can just give, give. we'll do the investments for you. You won't even have to leave your rocking chair. And this is where he says that they're cleverer because they're manually filling in the slips. And Jerry points out that as a consequence of their optimization, not using, you know, lucky dip, he says yeah. that he's calculated they gain 32 bucks for every 100,000 that they win. <laughs> this is after Tyler gets his claws out and says at Harvard... He says, oh, you might know the maths for, you know, for working on the farm, but at Harvard, we know the binomial distribution. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But I think his wife has the parting shot. When they've left, you know, and the bell has tinkled, she says, I guess it wouldn't be a prom night without some dumb teenagers. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't say that to Tyler, yeah. did she? No, no, she waited. Till... She's lovely. She would never do it to his face. She says one or two things to his face, like, you could have yourself a popsicle on the way out. Well, by this time, their accountant has bought a Corvette with his winnings. <laughs> and he's tooling around this little town. <laughs> their daughter's no help, no use helping with the tickets, because like me, she just cannot keep the numbers straight in her head when she's looking at them. <laughs> I thought that was an excuse. I thought she was embarrassed to come in it because she looked like she was being greedy. And so made up an excuse not to come Oh, wow, Paul. You've got a whole, there's a whole different level of storyline going on for you. Amazing. The Boston Globe reporter goes to the lottery headquarters and Tyler finds his way to the little town of Everett where they live, finds Jerry in the convenience store there and he threatens him basically with cyber warfare and identity theft with all of his hacking Now, all this, all this small town success, I thought the movie was going to take a turn to like, hey, they've had success and everything's going to head south because, you know, we know what happens to successful lottery winners is, you know, Things go off the rails, but we get. But this is a true that, story, Paul, and it's a heartwarming mm. story of good old honest. Statistically, though, four out of five big lottery winners do go bankrupt within within eighteen months. I think it was within five years. It's it's a very short time. Well, why day. is it so toxic to people 
to people's well-being, mental well-being, when they win the lottery. Have you ever thought about this? I don't know. I don't know. I've thought, I've thought pretty deeply about it. Why do lottery winners lose all their money? Well, then it's not that they lose all their money. They get unhappy and, you know, suffer mental issues as a consequence. Well, I think it's that, you know, if you gradually become richer over your life, you realise the extent to which money can manipulate your mood and well-being. Whereas I think if you win the lottery, you expect it to do a lot more than it can do. And there's all that kind of complication. This all may be true, but I think there's a more fundamental thing that happens. Bad accountant? If you win the lottery tomorrow, everybody you've ever been vaguely friendly with, family members who are distant family members you don't communicate with, they will all now be speaking with you and the, <laughs> in a really pleasant yes, creepy way <laughs> yeah and even the friends that you have who you think you can rely on will start to appear in a wibbly wobbly kind of slightly hallucinogenic well you'll ne- you will never know whether the friends that stick with you are sticking with you because of you or because yeah. of your money and you will constantly second guess yourself it must be absolutely terrible and as a consequence, I have to tell you this, Mr. Gambling Man or Lottery Winner, if you win the lottery, you should tell nobody, absolutely nobody about it. Put your money in a blind trust, and if, if you want to give money to friends or family, set up trusts for them as well and make them beneficiaries, but do not let anybody know who, who the money is. From? Who owns the money. Nobody at all. Ah, random acts of kindness. You have to pay actors to like, like, like bump into your friend in the street and say, "Oh, oh, oh, sorry, you bumped into me. I've hurt you. Here, have three thousand dollars as compensation. Please don't tempt to call yeah. that kind of thing." Yeah. Don't buy. Don't. Wow, Richard. It sounds like you've done this before. Don't buy a flashy car. Don't move into a mansion. Obviously, make yourself comfortable. You could obviously ease off work. So all the things my dad did, basically. Yeah. Your your lottery winning dad. Yeah. Exactly. Sounds like like very very smart guy. Understandably so. No, no. I mean, my dad did all. This oh, right. <laughs> like he got he got he got UPVC windows. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We bought a Renault Twenty Five, which I crashed two weeks later. <laughs> uh, actually, no. He had two lottery wins. Oh, two 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 uh, pools wins. This is a second smaller win, actually. But he did buy a house, but not in this country, so nobody knew about it. Oh. It was in Spain. Ah. I caramba. So it, does that mean you have partial ownership of a house in Spain now, Paul? No. Well, obviously you wouldn't tell me, as a consequence <laughs> of what I've just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would too. I mean, that's the one thing. <laughs> if uh, if I ever came into significant significant amount of, amounts of money, everybody would know. <laughs> In the same way that if I ever had a romantic attachment that was like, you know, societally not acceptable, like, you know, I was granny grabbing, you would know. I think that circuitry called shame, I don't really have like other people. I know why I don't have that circuitry called shame. It's, it's circuitry called shame in my brain. Uh, it, I know why, but I just don't have it. I'm not ashamed of things like other people. The next thing that happens is the students and Tyler has thought up a cunning ruse. And again, this bit. It's not very well explained. I had to sort of piece it together and think about it carefully. The students are going to control the roll-down. So the roll-down is normally triggered by the jackpot reaching a certain level. Okay, Richard, I got it. Can I explain this to you? Can I interrupt? Okay. Okay. Let's say the roll-down is 5 million. Okay. They've got inside information for when the pot is at maybe 4.6 million. 
Okay. Now, typically, what it means is it's a small lottery. Like the pot's only going to go up maybe four hundred, yeah, five hundred thousand right. every every week. So nobody else is going to know when that when it you know when it goes up reaches that five million. It could be a one of three weeks, roughly speaking, assuming an average amount invested in. The and normally, market. you'll but have notice know which of week it. it is. You'll have a f- you'll you'll know that next yeah. week's lottery is going to be. Yeah. So when it gets within fifty thousand, they're going to buy those fifty thousand tickets and just push it over that week. And then get the preferential roll down before anybody else. Knows exactly, about it. yeah. But in fact, I mean, it takes them a million. They've they've figured out they need a million tickets. So it's at that point that they go. He, Tyler goes to the tennis club and whatever, and gets lots more investment. And then they do that. They do this trick. So they buy lots of tickets. They force a roll down, and Jerry realizes that you know they've lost control of the game because if the students can mm. force a roll down. And they don't have the time to react and go up to uh, to Massachusetts with all of their investment money and buy lots of tickets. You know, if all happens in, the, in one weekend, then the students will always be able to control the game. So they kind of they kind of lost in a sense. Yeah. But then, and this is really clever. What Jerry does is he goes to the lottery, and throughout all of this, it it might be natural to wonder why the lottery hasn't figured this out and isn't terribly worried about it. It's explained, isn't it? This it is explained. This is the one bit of exposition I thought was clear of all, all of the sort of technical elements. So why? Explain why is the lottery why? doesn't care, Paul. Well, they have a vested interest here, don't they? Can I just say, uh, I, I really uh, like Tyler, the actor playing Tyler. He does a wonderful Elon Musk mannerism <laughs> in this yeah. movie. It's just, it's crazy. How it's, it's obviously meant to be Elon Musk, you know. Uh, but it's I mean, really this is not good. a very flattering portrayal of the, the Harvard students. It's a very flattering portrayal of Jerry yeah. and the uh, the Everett lot. I can't ima- this must be like an amalgam of all the characters in a way that's not all that accurate, I suppose. Yes, I think we'll get onto that the scoring at the end. But he's chugging Red Bull uh following uh well counter or following uh Margie's suggestion a couple of weeks back. Uh, so what happens is okay, uh, they go into the boardroom, the lottery boardroom. And then, you know, they say, look, the situation is we've been winning the lottery. Um, we know that you know that somebody else has been winning the lottery uh, by by means of bulk buying, uh, bulk buying tickets in order to take advantage of preferential odds uh, during during roll-down weeks. And the guys don't say anything, but they kind of nod to acknowledge, yeah, they knew about all this kind of stuff. And, they, and then, you know, uh, I think it's Jerry says, you know, and we were wondering, we were wondering... Why you didn't do anything about it? But then we realised it's because I can't remember what the reason was now, Richard. I'm sorry, I've built up to that. I well, can't let me explain. First of all, really, the lottery isn't losing out on anything. This is prize money that was due to be given out in previous weeks and wasn't. So it's not like the lottery is losing money or the lottery company. Precisely. They're making money and they're interested in more tickets being sold. That's right. And when they buy more tickets, uh, other people buy more tickets too. That was the bit I didn't quite understand. Well, no, the roll-down, I think, uh, encourages people to buy more tickets. But most people are not going out and buying 10,000, 500,000 tickets, of course. They might just buy two when they bought one last week or, you know, one when they didn't buy any the previous week. But So, in other words, no skin off the lottery company's nose that this is happening. And March has a good line. She says, your mistake became your windfall. 
That's right, exactly. So it's good news for the lottery. It's also good news for the charities that benefit from the lottery. And in a way, you know, guys like Jerry, who's using his lottery wins to benefit his community, giving it back to the community, helping with projects like they're getting a jazz festival going, mm-hmm. aren't they? In a sense, that's exactly the kind of charitable uh, cause that the lottery set up to assist with anyway. So they probably found it quite charming. But they actually like syndicates taking part in the lotteries, I think, is the basic message. What they do is they agree to two things. First of all, they will publish the jackpot, the current value of the jackpot on the website so that everyone can see when a roll a roll down is imminent. There's no privileged exactly. information. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a free market of information at that point, isn't it? And secondly, that they'll agree to let uh, the liquor store have two two machines in it. <laughs> and this is very much a situation with several national lotteries. It's it's dizzying when I go on the national lottery app uh, to try and buy a ticket. It's like there's seven or eight different versions. You know, Euro Millions, Lotto Balls. Like I can't really follow what the difference is. It's all six numbers or four numbers or five numbers and various different times. I guess it's to keep people cycled in. You know, one different thing every day kind of thing. They've got different reveal times, haven't they? Paul, but it's the same the in the UK lottery. Well, there's too many lights and colours. It, it, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same. Mr. Blobby. Mr. Blobby used to do the lottery. No, he didn't. It was on before the lottery, wasn't well, it? I, I, by the uh, way, do you no, know that Camelot... I, the point I'm labouring to make, Richard, if just hold your point for a second, is that if you have maybe three or four rollovers in the UK, on that fourth week, it is to your advantage to buy a ticket. Your returns should be greater than 100%. Sorry, Richard, you were saying. Yeah, but you have to hit a jackpot, wouldn't you? And you can't guarantee that. You're right, actually, because... No, 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 I think there is redistribution of the lower price tickets too, Richard. The lowest, lower prices too. Well, I think maybe. there is. Uh, no, yeah. but, but even if so expectation think... mean is high, if you don't hit, if you don't hit the jackpot, sure. you're still screwed. And the only way to guarantee hitting the jackpot would be to be invest like £14 million or something. You're right, you're right. In terms of relatively certain, or what we might say, probabilistic uh, or, or definable returns, you're right. I think you'd have to buy a good few hundred thousand tickets, or maybe a million but, tickets. But the point is, the point remains. I think you know these advantages do exist against the house uh, when there are rolled. But they're not against the house, are they? It's not because it's prize down. money that had already been consigned against. Uh, sorry, against the punter pool. Yes. Okay. Which gets back to my original point, which seemed to take contention with that ultimately, if you're playing fruit machines in the pub, you're not playing the machine, you're playing the person that played before you because by law they have to pay out 71%, I think, pub machines. Yes, but uh, even that, quiz that means that okay. it doesn't matter what somebody else has put in, does it? Other than the fact that the fruit machine can be empty, but it, 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 it's programmatic, isn't it? It's just programmed to do a certain. To, to pay out a certain amount, so. But that, but let's say it's been taken. Let's say it's had losers all day. This before is the gambler's you. fallacy. Yeah. <laughs> this is the gambler's fallacy. You're saying that you know a win is due. It's, it's not true at all. No, that's that's different. That's different, Richard. The machine will up its odds of winning. The machine will toggle itself so it pays out. Wow. Okay. I, this is a correction for next I'm week. Talking... 
the quiz, the quiz pub game well, definitely we, rich. We have to find out because it's very contentious point. Gambler's fallacy all over here. Well, of course, then of course we don't play them anymore because people just look up the answers on their phones. Now, listen, though, no, let's get back to Jerry and, and Marge. Well, we've got to the end of the movie, haven't we? The Boston Globe reporter breaks the news, doesn't she? The the only high tension or high stakes bit of this movie is that Jerry realizes that at some point, like the everything's get you know, just like the the lottery closed down in his local area, at some point yeah. the lottery is gonna get wise to all of this and shut down. And Really, the Boston Globe <laughs> article, I suppose, blows it wide open. It's and, and you know, you can't really keep running the lottery on this basis, can you? So it's going to be like the last week. This is a folksy little tale. Had echoes of Garrison Keillor, the novelist, I thought. It was like, you know, some mid Midwest folksy wisdom was kind of surrounding all this. I've got some words, Rich, to summarise this movie. Please choose when ones that you thought were relevant. Revelatory, frenetic, decent, heartwarming, wholesome, gentle, deep, folksy, ground-shaking, sweet, profound, and uh, thigh-slapping or revelatory. What, 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 which, ones, which of those words apply Chat to this GPT, movie? please give me a list of words that relate to the movie Jerry and Marge Gala. <laughs> <laughs> Here are some words which relate to that movie. <laughs> I thought some of those words applied. Okay, There maybe were some s- s- semi-ethical issues comparable to tax avoidance and tax evasion in the sense that you know you shouldn't be playing the lottery this way. Is it okay to play it that way? Generally, I think the answer is yes, it is. Well, you could argue that by doing what they're doing, they are reducing the prize fund for all of the other players who are just playing, you know, one ticket lottery kind of. So it it seems a little unfair, but the lottery is not very fair anyway. And it, it isn't. It, you know, again, if you view it as more of a charitable a way of raising funds for charities and stuff, again, you know, Jerry and his syndicate were very community spirited. According to the voiceover at the end, mm-hmm. they ended up winning $27 million over the course of yeah, their they did. escapades. It's a whimsical story, kind of low stakes, but also very interesting. And it's quite heartwarming. It's also quite funny. I thought it was genuinely. It, it, there are a lot of lines in here, some of which hit, some of which don't. I would say the hardest, the hardest task was little uh, Tyler, the little bad little college student. He had to play a villain, and you know he's supposed to walk on with intent and evil and malice, and yet the story just doesn't match the the sort of pairings where he was supposed to come head to head with Jerry. And Jerry's not really up for the fight, is it? You know what I mean? So that was a bit fizzle and pop and squeak and out with a whimper and not with a bang. So give me an acting really. score. I thought really know. Okay, Rod's are scores already. Already acting. <laughs> acting. Uh Rich is looking at how she's gonna edit today. Uh acting <sighs> Like I say, Tyler, I thought, had it toughest, uh, the guy who played Tyler, because it was asking him to be dramatically evil in a way that wasn't the case. At the end of it all, he just gets taken home and out of college, doesn't he? That's that's his comeuppance, I think. He d- Well, that's quite serious, so... isn't it, being taken out of Harvard just because you've lost a million dollars? He didn't lose it. He probably didn't lose it. Did He'll he? go far. He'll go far. Uh, so I thought maybe the most limited role was the wife. There wasn't much room for her to manoeuvre emotionally. Oh, she was great. And Benning, you know, she starts off, yeah, she's always, always enthusiastic and she really 
Yeah. Energised her husband, I think. Okay. Annette Benning, Brian Cranston, a great cast. I just felt the story needed stronger emotion. It should have taken more artistic licenses. It shouldn't have been so tightly tied to the realities of the story. Okay. We need we need fist fights, you know, we need squealing t- squealing tires. And we needed some we needed some people from Las Vegas to turn up who weren't on the board of lottery directors. We need this lottery to maybe change to have some sort of criminal interest or criminal background. I you needed somebody's head in a vice. You needed someone yes. and then hands being broken. We needed consequences and clear choices to avoid or accept or face those consequences, like in any good Hollywood movie. And in a way, because it was so gentle and Garrison Keillor-esque, it kind of didn't really... It wasn't what I was expecting. I did enjoy it, but in terms of acting, there wasn't much chance for the directors what I'm trying to get across very poorly. Uh, six out of ten for me. Oh, I'll give it a seven. So what about... What about the plot and the dialogue, Paul? I enjoyed the plot, you know. I mean, it's a good story. It's an interesting story. It's a human interest story after 60 Minutes on late night TV. Is it a movie It's story? like a TV movie, know. isn't it? But it's basically yeah. taken from a Huffington Post article which recounts this story. Although I was reading the HuffPo article and, like, for yeah. instance, there was actually another group also doing the same thing. Another kind of... Um, student in academia i think he was a medical student he'd been writing some kind of he was sort of petitioning i think amongst his friends about how bad the lottery was you know how it's like a regressive tax really on the poor and stuff and whilst doing this he'd figured out this loophole himself in the windfall tax so he started doing it you know and quickly decided the lottery wasn't that bad after all (laughs) so there was actually several groups i think doing the same thing but obviously they they tried to simplify the story a little bit. But it's worth reading the half part. The point is, the story kind of runs out of steam, doesn't it, really? We needed a big ending. We needed a confrontation. It comes in the middle of the movie, and it's kind of all whimper and no bang, okay? Getting back to the acting... Paul, you can't it's get back to the Marge, acting. Uh, I'd have to, because I've got I've found my notes now, okay? Marge, <laughs> uh, the problem was, is she had to play somebody who was always so, like, pinch-nosed, so cutesy. She was just always so nice, wasn't she? Well, maybe she's really nice in person, Paul. I know you must. You, in real you life, find I know exactly. So either. we need him. We need him more fiction, you know, than than we got. So plot, it just it just kind of ran out and didn't really tie up nicely at the end. For me, six. Well, it played all its tension out in the first twenty minutes, your first fifteen minutes. Yes. You know, the point at yeah. which initially he lost money, and then five minutes later he'd made like fifteen grand, and from that point on, really, it was <laughs> home it. free, wasn't it? It's kind of it was just like how much they were gonna they were gonna get and how long they could do it for. From that point of view, it's a bit of a failure of a movie, but an interesting story nonetheless. You know it's funny though. So I'll give it a six though for plot. Okay, Paul, you said you'd uh, predicted what my scores would be. I'll, I'll compare okay. them. At okay. The end. okay. Uh, I think we have to look at sort of technicals and exposition and that kind of stuff. Did it really feel like a, a movie where we learnt about you know? Taking on a lottery. Yes, I learned a lot about it, I think. Mm-hmm. You disagree. This for me is a stronger area. I did like the exposition. Most of it was clear. And, you know, I have to give a markup for being really general audience friendly. I felt this was this was explanation that actually was nicely slotted into the story. You didn't really see that actually they're putting that scene in to explain stuff. But that's what it was there for. So for me, a 7.5. I was going to go a 7. Okay. And I've predicted what you're going to name for the final category, Richard. So oh, great. Right. Final category. What lo- location? 
Yeah, I said charm and smarm and Yeah, okay. Well, that's all. Well, it's certainly schmaltzy, isn't it? Yeah. But is it nice schmaltz? You know, is it an angel cake or is it a Battenberg? I can't. Hmm? I, th- I can't shake the feeling that this is a TV movie. Yeah. Greetings card like platitudes is the worst thing about a lot of TV movies. So I'm going to have to give it a six. I think. And I. Yeah, it had the greeting cards platitude along with sort of sort of slightly racier, jokier moments that didn't sit well together. Two, it had like expensive original music from. The Who and other people, Bruce Springsteen. But then the title music was like from The Sims, you know, it was like Sims music. Had that awful kind of subplot about his son not connecting with his son, about counting quarters and stuff. When we used to count coins together, yeah, okay. I don't know why I said that in a Cornish accent, but I did do. (laughs) So for those reasons, definite down, okay. The schmaltz, there was a bit too much... There was just maybe a bit too much marzipan in the Battenberg, wasn't there? So for me, it's... What did you give it for a Schmaltz? Six. Six. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. Overall, though, okay. look, I mean, all these scores have been broadly positive. Nothing wrong with this film. It's not brilliant or amazing, but it's informative. It's heartwarming, actually. It's somewhere between a six and a seven, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know how much clearer I can wow. make it. Okay. So you're a six to a seven. That's I predicted you would give it a five and a half, actually. Oh, well, okay. Well, I think yeah, it's not bad. Uh, for me, it's a 6.5. Yeah, exactly. I warmed to it. I, you know, halfway through, I was, I was thinking it's not going to score five. <laughs> but ultimately, ultimately, I thought, you know, it is quite a rewarding investment of, of your time. Uh, particularly as a family movie, you know. And if you just want something, you know, instead of chicken soup to relax to when you've got a cold or flu, it's that kind of movie. You know, it's not demanding, but it's nice. It's a nice movie. What can I say? All right, then. It comes to the moment where we choose another movie for next week. I've got I've got two suggestions for you. Go on. Because I liked the sound of the name. There's a movie called Skinnamarink. I like that. Skinnamarink. Or alternatively, the movie we talked about last week... The Studio Ghibli oh, movie, oh, some would say one of the best movies oh. ever made, Spirited Away, which I know you have an interesting story about. If, if it's the same movie. Right, okay, so it's going to be Spirited Away, I think. It has to be, because I, I just, I'm just i just itched to find out. If it's out, the same movie that you think it is. Is it, yeah, is it the movie on Netflix and chill Oh, too? my God. Well, that sounds positively chilling. <laughs> Until the next time, I'm sure you're keen to hear more from Paul on that. Thank you for listening and goodbye. No, no. Okay. Okay. Ciao for now. See you on the next one.